Welcome to the Comics Asylum podcast, where we explore the world of comic books, movies, television, and pop culture. My name is Steve Bino, and this week, Ed Connell and Matt Enton chat about their comic book miniseries, WrestleTopia. I'd like to welcome to the Asylum, uh, Ed Connell and Matt Enton, and I hope I got that correct. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Matt, I got to tell you, your background is superb. Thank you. Well, you know, I just wanted to do something special for the show. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So off the top, I have to tell you, uh, I laughed out loud several times going through WrestleTopia. That's reassuring. it, It was hilarious. And it kind of took me back to the days when I was like heavily into wrestling, waiting for like uh, Friday night main event and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. We, we, it's always gratifying, obviously when the comic book connects with somebody, but we hear a lot uh, from people who say, uh, you know, I'm not, I've never really been into wrestling or, you know, I was into wrestling really in the eighties or the nineties. And so, um, and I, and I still, I really enjoyed this comic or, you know, it made me, made me you know, laugh at, at those, you know, days when I was watching, you know, wrestling in my basement, my, you know, as a kid. And uh, that's always great to hear. We're always, you know, glad that wrestling fans and, and you know, fans, uh, people who aren't current wrestling fans can enjoy it. Yeah, excellent. So how did you guys come up with the idea? Well, uh Ed sort of had the initial concept. Um, you know, he, he said, there's a whole planet and their entire society <laughs> is just sort of built around wrestling. Whoever's a champion, they rule the planet. Real and then he, he, he said, and I don't know why, but they put a steel cage around Earth. <laughs> Perhaps because, you know, they've completely overestimated you know uh, our technology our tech you know our space travel technology yeah and, and, and then, then yeah but well, then i think it was sort of like well why would they do that and we latched on to the idea that you know all all it, you know the whole that old trope where tv signals from earth go out into space and they they never really you know die so um if if a wrestler on Earth, you know, in our in our story, it's rock and roll Rory Landell, cuts a live promo on TV, and he's disgusted because his promoter has uh, you know promised him Rory that that he would be world champ, and then he reneges on the promise. So we thought, okay, there's an excuse to, for him to get up in front of the camera and say like, I do not care about the world heavyweight. I'm the galactic champion of the universe, brother. And, uh, you know, for him, it's just a way to just to piss off the promoter. Um, and, uh, but of course, it, you know, with the TV signal going out of space, it has these, these larger ramifications, unforeseen ramifications as, as well as we, as we see actually in the, as the story continues. But yeah, that's how we kind of stumbled on the, the initial threads of the story. And then, and then it just took off from there. Uh, it's great. And and it's funny because when you look at all the characters that are in it, uh, Rory especially, but then all the side characters, it doesn't matter what era of wrestling you're a yeah. fan of. Yeah. You could say, oh, I think there's some of this wrestler's DNA in that character. Yeah. And it just goes all the way down the line. Yeah, we've, it's, it's been, especially with Rory, he's, he's been kind of like a litmus test for like, when someone watched wrestling, you know, primarily, and we, we've gotten so many different, you know, when, when 
we've asked people, so who do you think, you know, Rory's supposed to be? We've, we've gotten, I'm not exaggerating, 20 different responses. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. It, it, it's really interesting you say that too, because um, really a lot of the characters are these amalgams of, of different gimmicks, or, you know, different wrestlers. And uh, some of these gimmicks or characters are sort of constant. Like I, I think about Adrian Polaris, who's he's a fairly minor character in the, in the comic book. But he is this sort of uh, androgynous, uh, you know, sort of gender ambivalent, uh, you know, Russeltopian. And, you know, Gorgeous George, of course, mm. a lot of people consider him to have had the first, like, real gimmick, you know, right. where he was, he was a straight guy, but he was playing sort of an effeminate man, you know, to get heat and, and, be, and, and be a heel. But that gimmick... Uh, maybe not treated with a lot of respect in, in wrestling, but it's, it's persisted, you know, there's uh, adorable Adrian Adonis and Adrian street. And I think in the attitude era, I, I sort of lost track, but they gold dust. Yeah. Well, gold dust, yeah. Gold dust <laughs> is a great example, but they had some other weirder, right. Like, the weirder, I think implementations of that, that gimmick or that character. There's like a tag team that was, uh, anyway. Um, so yeah, when you look at some of these characters, you can kind of see, it kind of doesn't matter what decade you were watching wrestling. You can see, you can see somebody in, in a lot of these characters and it's added to the fun to have people sort of guess, you know, or, or project, you know, their favorite wrestlers onto some of these guys. It's been, it's been really fun. And which character um, is a favorite of yours? We've got this question before, Matt. What, <laughs> what did we, how did we respond? Fail me out here. <laughs> um, I, I know uh, for me personally, uh, I just really enjoyed writing Manifest Destiny mm. um, because mm -hmm. I, I got to sort of channel my inner ultimate warrior. Right. And I, you know, thank God for YouTube. <laughs> and thank God that like the WWE oh, shockingly oh. has not been like overly litigious about their sort of copyright because so many of his interviews are up on YouTube and dailymotion.com. Vince McMahon's um, pretty laid back. He's laid yeah, back. yeah. So <laughs> I just got to sort of pour yeah. through his bordering on nonsense interviews. <laughs> And to sort of channel that into that character. Yeah. Well, we also, I, we also, what didn't we watch the, that DVD? It was like the instruction oh. <laughs> we had. Yeah, yeah, the self. Yeah, it was like before Warrior. Before he made nice with Vince McMahon, they basically did like a documentary that was like a hit piece. Yeah, on right. Warrior. I could not wait. To <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it's tough. It's tough for me not to say Rory because um, he's our main character, <clears throat> and I can identify with him because he's a very flawed person who often gets in his own way. But then, you know, I I, I, I sort of just like, well, okay, that's a given. You know, um, you know, we, Rory's the protagonist. You know, uh, <clears throat> I love Manifest Destiny. I also love. Uh, I don't know. I just I love Mini Macho. Uh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> and, uh, he's the only character I think, or one of the few characters where we didn't really have a lot of plans for him. He was just supposed to be an issue one, and kind of go away. And uh, I guess maybe it was us, and and, and maybe like you know the, the six people who read the first issue 
also responded to him and we're like, all right, we got it. He's got a, he's got a, uh, he's got a tag along. Um, and so many matches, you know, another, uh, a character who follows Rory on this journey to, uh, to, to uh, wrestle for the Galactic Championship of the Universe, and it's hard not to it's hard not to love Mini Macho. One thing I find really interesting is how when you're writing, sometimes the characters they kind of just force their way into the story, and you like you just mentioned, you have plans for them, but then they're like, "Nah, uh, you're not done with me yet." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't do there's there's certain things good writers are supposed to do and I and I'm I'm always trying to learn but I don't I don't throw kill my babies very well I tend mm-hmm. to want to mother them um, and I tend to be an over maybe I'm an over planner with the story stuff I, I'd like to have stuff really figured out before dialogue and um, so it's a bit it's a bit of a surprise to me that we worked in mini macho but I'm really glad that we did. So there's a lesson there for me. And the story is, you know, as much comedy and nostalgia as there is in it, it's pretty heavy. It deals with a lot of, you know, serious themes. Um, Did you guys have an idea when you started that it would have that kind of pathos to it? Or did it just kind of grow out of your writing sessions and, you know, going from issue one, issue two and et cetera? It, it grew out of, we, so we did a ton of research for this. Like we, I think like between the two of us, we, we easily read at least 30 books. Most of them uh, wrestler autobiographies. Right. And which, you know, have really sort of reveal the reality of what it's like. Cause these guys, most of them are working, you know, 300 nights a year. Um, they don't have uh, employer-provided health care. Um, they're putting their bodies on the line. And, uh, you know, like, if you look at the average life, I think 55 is the average life expectancy of a professional wrestler. Um, and, and, it, and it felt like, you know, we, we couldn't ignore that aspect of the business. And, and it also sort of, like, helped sort of – it's a very kind of out there – a high concept series, but we wanted to ground it in sort of relatable, believable characters. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, and sort of like weaving in that thread of the reality of, you know, the day-to-day business was important for that. Yeah, it, it is, you know, it was rock and roll Rory Landell again, who, um, you know, brings all this trouble on earth by declaring himself galactic champion. Um, <clears throat> he has this physical journey where he must get to the uh, St. Paul Sportatorium to, uh, for a galactic unification title bout <laughs> against the galactic <laughs> champion manifest destiny. But then we also wanted it to be, uh, you know, th- there is sort of this emotional journey. Uh, it's his real life sort of heel to face turn, turn as they, as they say in wrestling. And, uh, and like Matt said, like when you, when you look, it's it's a wrestling's a weird thing where it's like okay you know these guys really want to be wrestlers and um some of them get you know you know very famous and and, and can make a lot of money and um but they're also just uh, so brutal uh it takes such a toll on their body like i watch a wrestling match I, I, I don't follow wrestling real closely these days but 
I watch like highlights or something, and I'm like, how does any wrestler in the world do one match <laughs> per year? Like, if I if you, you think if you do one match, I'd, you'd be done. Like, you'd be <laughs> that'd be it. And and they're just throwing themselves all over on and jumping all over on the concrete and getting hit with chairs. Like Matt said, you know, three hundred times a year uh, in the old days, and it's like, how, how, Jesus, like, how do you? how do you do that every night? Um, and so there's a, a you know, a, a real sort of tragic side to all of this that, especially when you're a kid, like I got really interested when I was a kid, you don't think about that stuff at all. You're just like, Oh, this is cool. This is fun. This is neat. You know, this is great. Uh, they're not hurt. Look, he, he got right. He popped right back up. He's fine. Um, you know, these guys were just killing themselves for our entertainment. <laughs> And sometimes all sometimes when, when they come to a bad end, we just see that headline, you know. I'm not I'm not trying to defend anybody's like terrible behavior, but you know, sometimes you just you just see the headline of of the sad end that they came to. And uh that's all you see, you know, and you don't see what they went through, you know, or where they came from. And uh reading by bi- reading like biographies and autobiographies of some of these guys has really helped. You know, um, you can feel some empathy for superstar Billy Graham mm-hmm. <laughs> when you read his, read his book. And, and that's Rory is uh, based on a lot of different wrestlers, but, but he, he has a lot of superstar Billy Graham's DNA in him. Um, yeah, we, like Matt said, we wanted to show them as, as human beings and show us, uh, have some respect for the sport. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting because like, uh, like you, I was really into wrestling when I was younger. It, it was, uh, I guess, the closest that you would get to like superhuman feats yeah. outside of, yeah. you know, sports because jumping off the top rope and coming back, you know, Hulkster with his like, uh, kind of <laughs> feeding off the energy of the crowd and, and the personalities were just larger than life. And it's kind of interesting because you look at wrestling, especially late 70s and then in its, for me at least, heyday when it started to really take off in the 80s. Yeah. And a lot of the personalities and a lot of the ways that they conducted themselves were actually adopted by other athletes. Um, When you look at like how basketball players and football players would conduct themselves in interviews, they were kind of like the wrestlers. And and depending on, you know, if you were, I don't know, a Browns fan or a Steelers fan, one of them's the heel (laughs) and one of them's the hero. (laughs) Right. So I think you and I are probably close in age because I, I started watching, I was lucky enough that even though, you know, late seventies pre cable for most people, mm-hmm. but we had an NWA territory, Pacific Northwest wrestling. So I was watching wrestling Saturday nights on a local channel. Right. And I was the same way. I was like, yeah, these guys wore masks. They leapt for, you know, they smashed through, like there weren't a lot of tables breaking, but you know, they, 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 they'd get hit with chairs. They bleed, they'd leap from, you know, high places and they'd get back up and there was good versus evil. And uh, they were, yeah, they were like superheroes, you know? Um, the first time I saw like the great Kabuki and, or Abdul the Butcher on TV, I nearly like ran out of the room screaming. <laughs> They're the bad guys. And um, uh, yeah, it was some, something else you said about, about like professional sports. It was really interesting uh, to hear that, um <clears throat> Muhammad Ali, of course, had a great, you know, 
great, great sort of stage presence in interviews right. and things, right? He was, he was, he was remarkable. <clears throat> and a lot of wrestlers, superstar Billy Graham and Dusty Rhodes, uh, a lot of wrestlers of that era will, will, will fully admit, they're like, yeah, we stole a lot of our, our sort of interview style from Muhammad Ali. But Muhammad Ali went on the record to say that he borrowed a lot of that stuff from, and we already mentioned him, Gorgeous George, the wrestler. So it kind of comes full circle, right? <laughs> and, yeah, and it was also interesting. Uh, I, I actually bought that ESPN 30 for 30 about Ric Flair. And I was really surprised when they uh, talked about how many modern day young like NFL, NBA players love Ric Flair, first of all, but will um, imitate his interviews to get the, you know, the, like they're getting hyped right before the game in the <laughs> locker room and they'll start like uh, doing Ric Flair's promos and to get, to get each other like super psyched. And I'm like, oh, it, was, it was like, how, how are you a 25, you know, 22 year old athlete and you even, you know, care who Ric Flair is? It's, it's, it's crazy. So. Well, I I think, like, you know, once you're part of the pop culture universe, there's no way to kind of escape it. And then when you see what the, like, I guess the good vibes that you get from it, the attention that you get from it, it's kind of hard to ignore it. Um, and getting back to something that you guys mentioned earlier, the wrestlers, like, it would must have been a grind, and it must be a grind. I'm not sure how bad it is today. It's just as bad. Yeah, I can imagine, right? <laughs> yeah. But like, I, I think of like, okay, you're a boxer, what, you fight twice a year, maybe three yeah. times a year, if you're lucky. <laughs> right. And these guys are going, you know, day after day. And is there concussion protocol? Um, what you said, there's no governing body in terms of their health. So, you know, you really got a feel for them. And, and unless you're one of these breakout stars who then moved on to Hollywood, such as The Rock, right. um, John Cena, or, or you know, you have, you're kind of just doing this for the love of it and hoping to get through. Yeah. Or you, you, you know, some of these guys, it, it, it seems for a small percentage, but they have enough uh, power, enough star power to kind mm -hmm. of say no sometimes <laughs> you know, right. to the fan or whatever. Uh, but it, that, that's not the, that's far, it seems, from the majority of. Uh, of these guys i remember reading somewhere i can't remember what book it was but they were they were talking about how much time these guys spent on the road and i want to say i may have the details a little fuzzy but i want to say they they, they um use jim the anvil nightheart as an example when he was with the wwe and they said that he was gone so much that he like came home and his apartment had been rented to somebody else Wow! Like, like he just came home and it wasn't his home anymore. Wow. <laughs> they're like, "Who are you?" And they're like, I, "I thought I lived here." They're like, "No, you don't." <laughs> no, for sure. And, and, and Matt, I'm going to throw this one your way. It was really interesting, especially looking at Thirty for Thirties. A lot of the wrestling docs, how the business of wrestling affects how they go about doing their job in the ring. How did that inform you? in terms of what you wanted to put into WrestleTopia? Um, well, you know, a business decision is what kind of is the catalyst for the whole thing. Uh, you know, like we had, because during that time, like you really, you know, you couldn't be a heel 
and be sort of the main attraction. You know, this is, this is like, we very intentionally sort of set it in the mid eighties and, you know, Vince McMahon was pushing at first Bob Backlund, who's like the babiest of baby faces <laughs> and then Hulk Hogan. And, and if you were more of a heel type, you know, you just couldn't build a promotion around it. Um, so, you know, we have that business decision to suddenly, wait a second, you know, you're not going to be the champion at the, you know, we're, we're going to put the belt around, you know, th this family friendly personality. Um, that's the whole catalyst for everything. And then of course we flash forward 15 years and it's 1999, it's the attitude era. And, you know, you would have built a promotion around someone like Roy Landau, you know, cause like right. Steve Austin was the right. WWE and the rock were the WWE by 1999. Mm -hmm. um whereas those guys you know probably would have you know lost to hogan at SummerSlam in you right. know 1988 <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny how like the the roddy pipers and the randy savages then became the hero and I, it's weird because like in comic books i'm thinking of the anti-hero in the 90s kind of went that way yeah. too so if you were like the square-jawed captain america type you or Superman, you gave way to Batman and Wolverine and the Punisher. Yeah. Well, and Savage, they started to push him later in the, in like the 1980s and they did put the belt around him eventually. Well, he, never, I, you know, there was a while where he was just never going to be, you know, world heavyweight champion. And I, and I think that Savage, the, well, I think number one, didn't he, he, he did a, heel to baby face turn yeah like they they, they made him so, you know friendlier as yeah. yeah if i if i i might be wrong on this but i think he only had one title reign which for a guy like savage and how much time he spent in the wwf wwe you might think he had the belt <clears throat> several times or for a long time i want to say he had it one time and not for terribly long so and Jake the Snake Roberts never, uh, Roddy Piper never, um, uh, you know, like like you said, those they were they were kind of wrestlers bef before their time. They were mm -hmm. a little early, like Rock. That's one of the things I like about uh, you know Nature of Planet WrestleTopia is um, it was it's it, it's kind of ironic. You know, Rock and Roll Roy Landell. He he he's in that era where they it's just champions are baby faces. And if, if a heel gets a belt, it's just to transition it to another baby face. They, they maybe right. had the belt for a month, maybe. Um, so he's, well, they'll put the Intercontinental belt on you. Right. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but he, he, um, he, you know, he, he declares himself back to the champion of the universe on live TV, walks out of, uh, he knows he walks out on the night of the big pay-per-view. And 15 years later, when the WrestleTopians invade Earth, um, he's off the map. No one knows where he is. He's just, you know, drinking himself to death somewhere. And he's wrestling in casinos and stuff. And um, and it is his time, right? Like, if, if it really is his time. And uh, he's pulled out of obscurity because he sparked an intergalactic war, you know. And, and the world is ready for him, you know. But is he ready to come back and... And, uh, you know, I, I also love how the fate of our entire planet is in the hands of a washed up alcoholic. 
like, it's just like, like this guy. <laughs> it's all this guy. You're like, oh, Jesus. It, it, it's funny you mentioned that because one of the things that made me laugh is, and it always bugged me about wrestling, was the refereeing, right? <laughs> <laughs> Or should I put that in quotes, like air quotes, the refereeing? Because honestly, you, you know, they, they, they can't multitask. They get distracted really easily. Uh, what? Something's outside the ring? I can't. What's going on? And you miss all the stuff. If you bump into them, they, they fall down and faint. Like, right? Oh, exactly. Right. And um, then you watch, you watch some wrestling, no, sorry, some boxing refs, they get clocked and they just take a couple of steps back and, you know, still able to score can't stuff. Afford, those guys can't afford to, uh, you know, yell at somebody's manager uh, for, for five minutes <laughs> while the, the boxing match goes on. What, yeah. what's, what, and again, what's funny about the ref is that you, you take this deeper look at wrestling. I think it, the ref started because wrestling was had to pretend to be legitimate. Even with like, even with like state athletic commissions, they 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 kind of kept up the pretense of like, oh no, this is a real like fight. Uh, but also, the referee was there to make sure, like, if one of the wrestlers got legitimately hurt and couldn't continue, they would help in the match quickly and get that guy, you know. Uh, throw him out into the alley and replace him with another wrestler probably in the, in the old days but but also like uh, I've seen some footage where a wrestler shows up for the for the match and they're drunk or high and it's the referee who, who, who job it is to say like nope we're not doing this we need to change the script we need something else to happen here <laughs> and somebody else will come out of the locker room you know what I mean they, they have these legitimate duties but but it, it's you know got nothing to do with refereeing a, a wrestling match it's like, you know, are you talking about the godfather uh <laughs> <laughs> have you seen dark side he talks uh, about how he was basically high for like at least <laughs> like half of the matches he did in his career <laughs> uh i i recall i mean i don't want to get us all in trouble here but if you go on youtube and and, and sort of search around you'll see some fairly famous wrestlers who show, show up at ringside. There's one, it was one of Sting's opponents and there's a match where Sting shows up and Sting's good to go, but his opponent is not good to go. And the referee does this, which is a signal to all the, you know, promote everybody else in backstage to say, we got a problem here right. <laughs> with, with one of our people. We got to improvise quickly because this, this, this man is not, not good to go. I mean, Rory showing up drunk was actually based on a real incident with Jake the Snake Roberts. Mm. Uh, it's on YouTube. Yeah. Right. He, uh, he, he grabs a woman's hands <laughs> and puts them on his man breasts and rubs them <laughs> on his way to the... Wow. I'm glad he has found, you know, sobriety in his life. For sure. For sure. You just, it's almost like the Wild West. Like, you, 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 you know, that would not fly at all today. <laughs> no, no. Well, look, it, it, you should, I think he was wrestling at like a high school gymnasium, like you know, at that point. Uh, I think it was. I think it actually was a casino. Oh, and, was it a casino? <laughs> and this was not like, you know. Yeah. This is not like the Venetian. This was. Right. Know, not even Las Vegas. I think this is probably like 
not even Reno. I think this was <laughs> like a, a casino in Carlsbad, New Mexico, or something like that. Yeah, like off off track, yeah. kind of. <laughs> he really fucked up. <laughs> Sorry, I wouldn't ask about swearing. Uh, it's all good. <laughs> uh, one question though, when when you think of all the stuff that you guys have researched, and then your knowledge of it, just as a fan or as a as a viewer, what was the biggest surprise about wrestling? Whether the underbelly of it or what we see on TV that you wouldn't expect as just a casual viewer. That's a really good question. Biggest surprise. I know that for me, um, there was a certain point in time, you know, I watched wrestling in the 70s and 80s, uh, super obsessed with it, and then grew to be of an age where I kind of realized, okay, like, actual fights last, like, 30 seconds. Like, this isn't, these aren't, you know. Um, but then, come, like, I want to say late 90s, early 2000s, the whole idea of a shoot interview became popular on YouTube. So I'll talk to King Kong Bundy, be like, what, you know, no bullshit. What was it really like to wrestle? And people started coming out with book wrestlers and others all of a sudden realized that their stories were worth money. They didn't have to wrestle, keep wrestling in high school gyms at 55. They could sit home and write a book or uh, give interviews on YouTube and, and talk about, um, uh, talk about you know what what it was really like backstage and the politics involved and all so all that was fascinating and eye-opening i I guess the biggest surprise uh, uh, hopefully this isn't uh uh, horribly unfair but like uh, you when i was a kid i would i would i would uh not only was i obsessed with wrestling but i would buy old wrestling magazines and to try and find out like what happened like before i got into it and I, you know, you'd find out things like, well, Tommy Wildfire Rich was NWA world champion back when that was a huge deal for three days. And, and then when you find out that wrestling is sort of choreographed and scripted and these are casting decisions, you're like, what? Like, what? <laughs> Why three days? Like, what? how does that make sense at all? And um, then you find out like the real reason why. And it... Uh, you know, the, 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 the whole idea of like the casting couch is a lie. I don't want to, you know, make accusations or inferences or all this is, you know, uh, but just in general, this whole idea of the casting couch is alive and well in wrestling. Even though it's a very male, you know, all the you know, bookers are men and promoters are men and the wrestlers are men and they're casting couch. So maybe some of the seedier stuff because you could imagine there's backstage politics, but even with, with it, it gets pretty dark at sometimes. And then that that whole um, Dark Side of the Ring episode about Jimmy Snuka, like I had, right. I had no idea that he was a person of interest. Let's say, right? A, uh, possible homicide. He like, did it. Sh- <laughs> That's just me. That's not it. <laughs> Uh, uh, gee, you're like Jesus. I just thought he was a cool guy that you know jumped off the. <laughs> I just the top, thought he was a the cool, top turnbuckle. Cool, yeah, yeah. I just thought he was a cool guy. I mean, some of that stuff is just um, it gets pretty dark. And uh, like you said, when you're a kid, you're just you're just you know watching this stuff and enjoying it and not realizing uh, you know it was an outlaw culture. And I think you know wrestlers didn't 
they came out of this um, wrestling sort of came out of the circus and they had a, a sort of a real carny <laughs> sort of mentality like you know what happens in wrestling stays in wrestling and uh, it, it could get pretty pretty dark and that was uh, surprising and Matt what about you uh, you know, this just something we referred to earlier is just like the schedule. I had no idea these sort of brutal schedules that they had to keep that these people were working over 300 nights a year, you know, because growing up, you, you see, you know, two matches, maybe three a week. And of course, you know, you weren't aware of all the dark matches they were doing, uh, the ones that weren't televised. So, I mean, the idea that you know so many of these people, in order to just do their jobs, become you know addicted to like drugs, prescription or otherwise, and alcohol, is just like a natural outgrowth of the damage that they do you know to their bodies, and just the psychological damage of just having to be on the road for such an extended period of time, especially you know for those you know with families back at home, you know they their kids, they just don't get to see their children grow up because they're working so much. And you do touch on that in the series, in the miniseries. Because uh, yeah, with, with Terry, right. Roy's dad. Exactly. Um, I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a toll on this as well, too, a, a human emotional toll. Yeah, it's a lot about, it. it's, it's weird, again, to sort of feel sorry sometimes for people who have made it because you wouldn't you wouldn't be talking about them if they hadn't kind of made it to one degree or another but like you know musicians like uh they they have to go on the road to make money they they just they can't stay home and and, and fill you know, arena arenas every weekend they have to go away and that's gotta be yeah that's gotta be rough like um um wrestlers or you know uh, musicians or anybody like that to, it, it's tough on on very tough on them and their families you know it's it's pretty crazy yeah i, I you know especially since what if, if you're in that upper echelon right of of athlete you're compensated well enough for whatever you're doing but your career but, you know, it's like if something like football, something as physical as football, three to five years, and then you're back home, right? Yeah. A lot of these wrestlers are doing this a decade plus <laughs> right. yeah, like and probably aren't in palatial homes where at least their families can say, well, this is what it has been provided for us. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And that's why these guys end up, you know, unlike football players, end up still wrestling often into their early 60s because it's, it's all they've done their entire lives. It's the only skill set they have, and it puts food on the table. Uh, and, and unfortunately, you're right, unless you, you were Hogan in a past life, mm -hmm. uh, you're not making enough money to retire on. Right. And no pension. No, at, you know, no pension. Uh, no, you know, as I said, no uh, healthcare provided by uh, your employer. This is not a call to uh, for the industry <laughs> to unionize, but I do think they should. <laughs> You've gotten us in enough trouble. <laughs> well, it, it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that because I think of of 
any any industry has a resource, right? And if you're re, like, it, not every wrestler has an insane amount of talent or charisma. Just like you know, you don't have that kind of combination in other sports, whether it's tennis or hockey or baseball. And yet, it's it's hard to break in and capture the imagination. But unless you actually strike gold, strike oil, or you know, you find El Dorado, you're chasing the brass ring that keeps getting further and further away from you. Like I couldn't imagine playing a, a, a heel for 15 years. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny though. That it, 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 <clears throat> this is very unscientific, but it, it seems to me like the heels seem somehow more well-adjusted after at the end of it like i i think there's maybe something about a heel or being a heel that in real life makes you mostly kind of a nice person <laughs> you know what i mean like i right. when, when you hear people talk about wrestlers one thing they'll always say is oh yeah that that guy he played you know he's the most awful person on television and in real life like roddy piper like he, he actually so i live in portland roddy piper lived in a suburb of Portland for many, many, many years. He made his home here. And you'd always, if you've ever bummed into anybody who knew him or worked with him, the nicest guy in the world. And that's pretty common to hear for some reason about guys who were heels most of their career mm-hmm. versus the guys who I think were used to being worshipped maybe had a much, maybe had a harder time adjusting to like not having, being worshipped as much or even just kind of retiring and just like having to get a normal job and and, and uh, that was maybe really it must be difficult right it, you won't hear a lot of kind words said by uh, about Hogan yeah. <laughs> by, yeah. by his fellow performers yeah. even even pre when the video came out like there was right. still a lot of animosity towards him yeah so wrestling breeds I think selfishness uh, maybe even more on the part of the baby face because they're they're the, the star of the show or or think they are you know or they don't realize that they're only the star of the show because they have a great heel to make them look good but um there's one exception and it's funny it's it's like uh, matt and i've read a lot of these uh like i said wrestlers uh autobiographies biographies and one thing they almost all have in common is that uh, george or excuse me um uh greg the hammer valentine mm. seems to be a total prick <laughs> oh, really okay. like book, every, i swear every book is like i, I think the last one i read it was that's like, the consensus eh? every book it was like i think i think it was it was one book last book i read it was uh, i'm in dallas page Dallas Dallas page like man i you know i was a young kid and i went to a show and Man, it was so great, and I was just obsessed. I wanted to be a wrestler so bad. And after the show, we walked down the street. We saw Greg the Hammer Valentine on his uh, hotel balcony smoking a cigarette. We said, "Hey, Greg the Hammer Valentine, man, how do you get to be a wrestler? I want to be a wrestler just like you." And Greg the Hammer Valentine looks at them, takes a drag on a cigarette, and says, "Fuck off." <laughs> <laughs> and it's like every book. As a story, <laughs> just a total dick. <laughs> no matter who's writing the book. Oh man, <laughs> he's consistent. I guess I don't know. And and 
going back to the to the miniseries, uh, the artist. Uh, how did you guys, or did you have any input with the character designs? Yeah, we did. We yeah. So the Dan Scotty did the first three issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so he really designed sort of the core cast, and then Kendall Good picked up on issue four. So whatever characters were introduced. Uh, from issue four on he designed yeah like we had like a lot of very sort of specific reference points for them right um we provided a lot of imagery very sort of vivid descriptions um within we gave them just a little bit of leeway because you don't want to handcuff them too much um, right to you know a, a document that you you know you've written yeah, um, I, I think we did it. We'd have you'd have to talk to Dan Scotty, who was yeah, like how, yeah. primary artist on books one through three, and then Kendall Good on four through six, because um, the whole miniseries is done, and you can buy it on Comicsology if you want to. But um, I, Matt and I come from the video game industry, where I mean that's our day jobs. We write for video games, and we're are I guess we're we're used to working with artists and kind of telling them what's important for the story as far as a character goes, <clears throat> even in regards to their look, like what, what's real relevant to the story and, and a general idea of kind of what we had in mind. But also I think we're pretty good at letting them just <laughs> you know, drop some sketches and, and have us take a look and, and see what we like. Um, for this miniseries, what was, you know, Matt and I, uh, you know, we have a publisher in Starbirds Industries Press, but we, we, still kind of pay for everything right like we we paid the artists all the artists got paid so we uh, you know the we had a lot of the creative freedom to do whatever we wanted and we were also sort of the as co-creators i guess we were sort of i don't know the 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 creative creative directors of the comic book so we had a great deal of input into everything Um, but um and it was it was it was really great. We don't get that kind of freedom or uh, on most of our projects, so it was really really refreshing, really fun. At least for us. <laughs> I have to ask our artists how fun it was for that. Because <laughs> I do I do know you know we we appeared on a podcast and um, there was another writer, and he was talking about like how collaborative it is between him and his <laughs> artist. And I know afterwards, and I like not even afterwards. Like we're like, God, you didn't uh, give our artists as free a hand as you did. <laughs> we had a very specific vision we were kind of bringing to the table. We we don't draw. We we don't do things the Marvel way. That's for sure. <laughs> right, right. Well, also too considering what you guys do outside of comics, the just the whole mechanism of creating stuff is completely different yeah I, we're we're just like a, a cog in a machine you know some of these projects that we've worked on we are one of 150 people and you know we're, we're also we're both contractors so um you know you, you kind of like as a contractor you don't want to sort of overstep your bounds so you know especially like since both of us sort of just became freelancers, I, I don't, I don't want to step on the toes of the artists, you know, like when, when I help create a character, I offer as, you know, as much input as I can get away with. 
<laughs> you know, uh, but uh, I'm a lot more sort of like I keep quiet a lot more. You know, I keep my 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 opinions to myself a lot more. Whereas here, it's like Ed and I are paying the bills. You know, <laughs> like this is like our only opportunity to speak up. Yeah, but they really, I mean, the artists would draw something and we, there was not a lot of back and forth. I mean, yeah, we're, like we're, they, most of the, like most of the, like most of the time, they kind of like, the first time out, they understood what we were talking about. And we didn't have a lot of revisions on most of the character designs. And, and they also brought like sort of unique little things, like it, it was just, it was like such a small thing, but I thought it was genius and Ed and I didn't even think about it was um 3d having them have like split red and blue uh right. ring costumes which was right. great and that's just that was all kendall like that was totally nice. kendall's idea well that's 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 the beauty of collaboration right like yeah. sometimes you come to it with what you've got and just a different perspective can totally add so much yeah yeah and and when it came to like panel descriptions i think we'd be you know, pretty specific with the action because we felt a responsibility to uh, do that work, right? right. So like, we had an action sequence, we were, we were real specific on what should happen, but we would, we would not get into cinematography, especially for non-action scenes. And we would just let the artist draw. You know, we, we'd break things down by panel and what's going on. We'd let the artists, you know, do their pencils, and we didn't we didn't demand a lot of changes. You know, it, 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 they did great work, both of them, and the colorist, uh, uh, Gio Butler, uh, Marissa Louise, uh, Jason Lewis for issue four, um, and the letterers, you know, Dave Lanfear and, and Sal Cipriano. I mean, they, we we hired we hired professionals, and we got uh, you know they did a fantastic job, like you'd expect. But. Yeah, it looks great. Like from from the script, and then I gotta just mention the wrestling moves, <laughs> like the way that <laughs> the artists were able to actually capture the wrestling moves, yeah, were fantastic. And uh, you know, top to bottom, it's, it's just a fun read. But I think the thing that had me, it, it, I was surprised because I didn't expect to see these, were the ads that you guys came up with. <laughs> they, were, they were bonkers funny, man. They were just hilarious. <laughs> Those were really fun. <laughs> you yeah. guys had, you might, I must have had a great time coming up with them. Yeah, that was, well, I, I believe this was, this all kind of came out of a conversation, and Ed, correct me if I'm wrong, the conversation uh, that you had with Kelly Sue DeConnick. Yeah. About, just, yeah, like, about, like, offer, you know, like, if you're going to do individual issues or as they call them in the biz floppies, mm -hmm. you kind of, you, you need to offer something a little extra to get people to want to make that purchase. And yeah. Bitch Planet, which is a series Kelly Sue DeConnick did um, for Image actually had, she had more sort of these like classified ads right. uh, in the back of some of her issues. And, you know, like both Ed and I have like extensive uh, like wrestling magazine collections from the eighties <laughs> and nineties. 
And so we were just kind of like flipping through them and we're like, oh God, this is like exactly, you know, the sort of ad that you would see in like every other issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. We should do some sort of parody of that. (laughs) Yeah. So the single issues on Comixology, which are, you know, we, we have those out there on Comixology and obviously it's digital only right now, but they do have that content you're talking about um, that's exclusive. We're not going to reprint that stuff into the trade. The trade will have its own exclusive uh, sort of bonus content, but um, hopefully it's an incentive for some people to, to get those single issues on, on in digital and maybe, maybe someday, uh, We'll get those in print, but the plan is right now a uh, you know collected volume, a trade, uh, and we'll have a Kickstarter in we believe March, where we'll um, <clears throat> we'll do a Kickstarter to get the trade in print, and uh, so you know a lot of people said they they would you know love to get the book in in a physical form, so oh, yeah for sure that'll be, that'll be people's opportunity and. And those, yeah, those, those phony uh, ads and stuff were great to do. It was funny, like, I, <clears throat> not too long ago, I went and looked at the single issues on Comixology, and I kind of whipped through them and noticed that our, our fictional ads, like for Rock, <laughs> Rock and Roll Rory Landell's, you know, rock album, were <laughs> missing. Okay. And I asked their editor, Starburns at the time, like, what, why are they gone? And he's like, he looked into it, and I guess, uh, someone at Comixology, either maybe it was a person or maybe maybe it was like an algorithm, thought they were real ads. Oh wow. <laughs> you can't have ads in your in comics on in, in your comics on Comixology, so they they just took them out. I'm like, no, no. Rock and roll Rory Landell is not a real person. He doesn't actually have a, a, you know, a rock and roll album with, you know, Malibu Rendezvous as the, as the track. Right? So and uh, I guess Google didn't exist for that particular executive, right? I, I, I hope it would. I don't know, but I don't want to. Maybe they, you know, maybe they uh, skimmed it and, and were fooled or, you know. Maybe you did your job too well. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> they're there um, now. You get them, you, they're there now. Um, also to the, uh, the Burt Reynolds um i guess homage when he's when he's lying down and he's got the i guess was it a robe or i'm trying to remember exactly what it is oh man he's, he's got like the he's got the album it's yes. on a, yeah, he's got the album in front of his genitals yeah uh, it's, it's so good but uh my mom actually had that issue i believe of, oh really i think it was cosmo, cosmo. yeah yeah yeah, my mom actually like held on to that issue. I remember finding it one day. We had like a whole like a library in our basement, and I remember finding it. And like I think I was like in high school. I'm like, Mom, what is this? Why do you still have this? And she's like, Oh, she's like, I thought it was gonna be worth something someday, and then I looked online. It's worth nothing. <laughs> it's also um, uh, it was also um, uh, Michael. PSAs <laughs> of the Freebirds. If you remember, he had this whole, he tried to push himself as a rock star for a while and he had an album. And I want to say that was, he did like the same thing. It may, it may have even been like the Confederate flag over his genitals. I don't know. Yeah, I think it was. But he, <laughs> wow. he did clearly, he copied the Burt Reynolds pose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's amazing. Amazing. 
So. Uh, I got. I have to ask you guys about one character, the wrestling nun. <laughs> I don't know where that. Well, what we wanted. It, what we want, like we, so we we wanted to because it took place like right on the cusp of the millennium. Right. We wanted a character who kind of like saw this as the literal apocalypse. Right. And, right. <laughs> yeah. So we, so Minnie Macho suddenly became like a devout Catholic, and <laughs> and, and and you know like okay, he needed like a reason as to why you know why he were you know just just to kind of like make it even just that much more obvious for the reader, you know, like the origins of his faith that his aunt was a nun and his aunt sort of <laughs> taught him, you know, everything she knew. Uh, yeah. She had some good, she had some good arm, arm uh, lock moves as well too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, 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 I have to admit when I saw that one, I, I kind of lost it. it. Took me completely out. I was just laughing. <laughs> so go, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, like, in Mexico, wrestling was so huge in Mexico. And I think part of it also was, at least I think in the 70s and the 80s, it, 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 it appealed, like, massively to blue-collar dudes. But there was a, a, a smaller but very strong contingent of fans that were elderly women. Like, it, like uh, every territory... So in Portland Wrestling, we had our Rose, and she was like this 90-years-old year, blue-haired lady who, who sat in the same chair ringside every week, Saturday night, you know, Pacific Northwest Championship Wrestling, and she was always there. And so you, you had these little old ladies. Um, another example is, I find hilarious is, uh, you know, Jimmy Carter, okay, he, he, he's elected president. And his inauguration's coming up, and I imagine this is what I imagine the conversation to be with his mom, his elderly mom. And he's like, "Yo, mom, my inauguration's coming up. It's in D.C. There's going to be, you know, uh, uh, governors and senators and heads of state and celebrities. And who would you like to meet?" And apparently, her answer was, "Mr. Wrestling too." It was a wrestler of the era, and a big star in the South. Ah, so okay. the legend has it that Mr. Wrestling Two, a mass wrestler, was like, "Well, yeah, I, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to meet uh, President Carter's mother, but I can't take my mask off in public. It just, it, it just, don't, we can't do it." Right. So he met her unmasked privately without cameras. And imagine you're Jimmy Carter. You're like, "Come on, mom, just you can meet anyone." Like Robin Williams, <laughs> Burt Reynolds, just you can meet anybody. Right. And, and no, I want to meet Mr. Wrestling too. So, little old there, lady. There's a photo of um, Carter with Mr. Wrestling too yeah. from that same meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like you can see the photo of like Lillian Carter like backstage at a match, and she, you think like she, I, I don't know who, what president was, ex president was alive at that. Ford and Nixon. Well, okay, but you you'd think she were meeting like the Queen of England, and, right? You know, she is just like completely in awe of Mr. Wrestling. Not one, but two. <laughs> <laughs> I can only, I can only imagine what the conversation with the Secret Service must have been before that photo, too. <laughs> oh man! But it but it it shows you the mass appeal 
of wrestling, right? Like yeah. I think it it it's about as tribal as you can get. It gets to the core of what makes us who we are. And I remember as a kid watching here in Toronto, there would have been Maple Leaf Wrestling, which is a, which oh, wow. was out of Maple Leaf <laughs> Gardens. And I remember those old ladies too, and yeah, yeah. they were some of the most passionate fans. Oh yeah, um, they were, they were all know. the way in. Oh, totally, totally bought into it for sure, for sure. And has has the fan base changed um, as wrestling has, I guess, matured? You know, it's it's tough. You know, because neither of us really. I like. I still like. I follow the news about what's going on, and we follow a lot of wrestlers and and wrestling sort of blogs on Twitter. But I don't really watch anymore. I, I think. It, what's been interesting to me, uh, you know, since we launched this series, um, we've been sort of introduced, like, I, I, I didn't realize how varied, you know, the, the audience for wrestling is and maybe always was because it, it, it was always, it was very much, you know, like when you're a kid, you just think it's, it's, it's all male, you know. Oh. And, and there are, there's like a not, in, you know, we've been talking about the little ladies, but, um, there's a not insignificant percentage of female viewers and oh, female sure. wrestling fans. Um, yeah. And yeah, just like, it's, it's been really interesting seeing this, who's been responding to this and like who sort of, you know, come out as wrestling fans. It's, it seems to be like just about everyone from every walk of life, um, from every background. Um, and I don't know if that's like a more recent development or it always was that way. It, and it, uh, it seems I mean, like focus on, you know, it, the, you know, how it was toxic for, you know, little, little white kids in the suburbs. <laughs> it tends, I think, to, to change from decade to decade a little bit. And, and there's also, you know, different brands. Like, I, you know, there's wrestling that's a little more family friendly and wrestling wrestling that just really solidly appeals to young sort of or, or a blue collar crowd. There've, there've always been, I think more women in <laughs> watching wrestling than we give credit to. It seems like nowadays there's a lot more young women that are really into it. Um, and, uh, uh, but it, it, it just, it, it does seem to change, right? Like it does seem to change, uh, from decade to decade and era to era. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it, you know, the attitude era was definitely targeted more towards young testosterone fueled dudes. Right. Mm, and we may yeah. be, and we may be headed back there again. Um, I hope not. <laughs> Rewatching at it's the attitude era. And that's, you know, like I was huge into wrestling at the time. Like it has not aged well. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, if there, if if women do represent a larger sort of audience share, I think it's because um, the industry as a whole has sort of recognized that women are just at, you know just as talented performers, and they're just oh, as yeah, for sure for sure putting on uh, an entertaining match. And you know yeah. they're no you know like it, it used to be like in the '80s, like Wendy Richter was you know who was the women's champion was lucky to get a five minute match and lucky to be, you know, on Saturday night's main event. Right. Whereas now, like 
you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's like 50, 50. I don't, I don't think we've completely reached parity, but um, you know, like women are, have completely become an industry force in a way they weren't um, even like 10 years ago. Yeah. Being featured prominently in, in a lot of the promotions in the video games, a lot of the storylines from what I can see just as a casual fan, um, they're definitely more uh, into the DNA of the day-to-day kind of action of wrestling than would have been, you know, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like, you know, and Trish Stratus and Lita had a right. lot to do with that, but even when they uh, were wrestling, they were the exception, you know, they yeah, China they was cool. in that era too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but they were still just the divas, you know, right. Right. <laughs> you know? they had, their, they were their own category. Like lingerie, lingerie, wasn't it like pillow yeah, fight? Yeah, like it, it was, yeah, it was just so, God, yeah, lingerie match. It was just so, it was just blatantly sexist. The way Do, doesn't they, age well of, at all. Yeah, yeah, the way they, they marketed uh, their female talent, um, with, you know, with the exception of China. Um, right. But uh, now you don't have to be a, you can be like a, some, you know, a Nikki Cross type and get pushed uh, by upper management. You don't have to sort of, you know, fit these stereotypical um, sex pot roles that women were sort of relegated to for, you know, most of the history of the industry. Right, right. And I guess the the forgotten uh, element outside of the announcers are the managers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I remember Slick. <laughs> you know, oh yeah. Um, you know, Captain Lou. Um, just there were just like some just ridiculous characters that just made just made the show. Yeah. Yeah, we like we so we we have uh you know Don Fong Wong who's yes. who we reveal very early on. His name is Don Kalani. He is not Chinese. He's Hawaiian. He's native Hawaiian. Yes. And kind of, you know, like he hates the stereotypical role he's kind of been thrust into, but he just sort of accepts it as a reality of the business. Um, yeah, no, I, yeah, like some of those, like, it's interesting because Roy really is one of those guys who could probably stand on his own. He has enough mic skills that he could probably just go on his own. Um, but it, it's funny, like often they would match up the guys who were just terrible on the mic. Um, you know, that, that's why like Brock Lesnar has Brian, right. you know, right, right. Uh, or Andre had Bobby Heenan. Yeah. True, um, true. Bobby the Brain. Someone to hype up the match. And, Paul Bearer, you know, I think, was yeah. uh, another one. <laughs> yeah, because well, because uh, the Undertaker just barely spoke when he debuted. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But, but, but yeah, but a lot of those guys anymore. Uh, and I, I have heard that Vince McMahon doesn't love managers these days, so they're not very prominent, which is a shame. Well, it's interesting though, um, because you know I'd watch clips, and it was almost like Vince McMahon was is almost like Jerry Jones in a way, and I'll explain what I mean by that. If Jerry Jones could put on a helmet and coach and do all the stuff that his players do or that his coach does, he would be the happiest man in the world. 
And Vince, all of a sudden, I'm seeing him in the ring doing manager stuff as part of the shtick before or, or you know, linking two matches or hyping up some sort of rivalry. So I, I kind of see him where he is now not just the, 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 the one who's running the, the, the WWE. He's part of the show. I mean, he was when, when he was still capable of, you know, performing in the ring. So this, when he was in his probably like late 50s or 60s, like you've got to like give him credit. Like he was a great <laughs> heel. <laughs> and, 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 I, and, and he was basically just playing himself. Right. You know? And like, and he will say, oh, that, that's not me. That's sort of like, you know, an elevated version of me. That, that's sort of, you know, like that, that's a, a sort of a cartoonish version of who I am. But like, by all accounts, that pretty much is who he is. <laughs> like, I think he's every bit as horrible as the Mr. McMahon uh, persona. The, uh, I guess the, the reason that he put out there for inserting himself that much into the action you know being a heel is that i guess there was a sort of a a drought of, of great heels right and you have to have those great heels or nobody cares right like just it doesn't matter how great your world champion is or Shawn michaels where if you don't have great heels to to make it interesting it's um no one cares and yeah. you know sometimes if you don't have that person it could be um disastrous so he just he, he put himself in there. Yeah, you got, you got to give him credit. He was a billionaire, I think, uh, even then, and uh, get, get, let himself get hit in the head by folding chairs. It's... <laughs> and there is a great folding chair scene in Wrestletopia. I'm not, I'm not even going to say any more, but... Oh, no, it's, it's been out long enough. Don't worry about the spoiler <laughs> fence. You can, you can hop the spoiler fence. Oh, man. Well, I'm going to hop it off the top turnbuckle i'm gonna do like a bret hart into the ring with that one it was it was so like you didn't see it and then you're like classic <laughs> uh, i was too good we, was we there... did sorry go ahead no you go ahead you you had a question no I was, I was just gonna ask were any of the you know uh i guess outside of the ring antics that you were like uh we couldn't you just couldn't find a way to get it into the story <laughs> Uh, I think mostly we would kind of decide, like, okay, what sort of action do we want to ta have take place? And then we'd look for a way to try to, you know, make it the most interesting that we could. So I think there wasn't too much action-wise I can think of that we, we didn't get to do. And there was a lot of, like, just fun things we thought, like, there's a there's a fight that happens as wrestlers go down a giant water slide. <laughs> that was really, that was interesting. <laughs> That's the only double page spread, I think, in the whole mini series. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think it was just a lot of fun looking at, looking at stuff on YouTube and, and, you know, sending the artist links to just crazy things. And also, uh, was it a good excuse for me to buy some wrestling action figures and like wrestle them <laughs> to try to figure out like okay how would this work like how what cool thing could we do if i can do it with these action figures and someone's got it they should be able to draw it right speaking so, of i was like i was thinking of the folding chairs we did have i don't know this definitely like a cutting you know room floor moment 
where uh, they, you know, the Wrestletopians had to rearm themselves. And rather than going to a gun shop, they go to like a furniture store. <laughs> yeah, there, there is one thing that we didn't do because there was it just there was no reason for it to happen. And maybe if we do, you know, more stories. But I just had to imagine, you know, you ever watch one of those movies and there's a giant uh, battle scene like like Game of Thrones or something right. with two arms. So I just imagine like two armies of rival Wrestletopians running at each other screaming and instead of like shields and swords they all have like tables and chairs and they're all just like <laughs> two giant armies of wrestling battle royale yeah colliding together and rest then they start to wrestle uh well yeah we'll have to we'll save that one for the next i think the sequel i think era. i think you have a scene in the sequel already <laughs> yeah there were a lot of aspects of wrestletopian culture we just didn't have an opportunity to explore but that's great because, you know, like if we get to expand on the WrestleTopia universe, yeah. you know, there's a, it, it, it feels like it's ripe with possibilities. Oh, for sure. For sure. Now I have to ask you before we go, your favorite wrestler, your, your favorite all-time wrestler. And I'm going to start with you, Matt. Uh, the gobbledygooker. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> 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 it was played by, I believe, Hector Guerrero, the famous Guerrero friend. Um, no, mine is uh, Macho Man. I, you know, I, to me, he was the total package. Um, you know, just incredible in-ring abilities, and you know, just a completely original persona. Uh, his mic skills, even though much like the ultimate warrior his you know his interviews are barely make sense (laughs) (laughs) uh they're just you know they're beautiful like he you know i I don't want to go so far as to compare him to james joyce but he definitely had his own way with the english language (laughs) right yeah yeah i would have to go i mean it's really hard to to narrow it down to one i i i'd have to probably though go with dusty Rhodes. Mm. to remember seeing him first you know we, we got cable pretty early on in the 80s and then because of georgia championship wrestling was on superstation wtbs that channel just became a national you know, a, a cable channel nationwide and so you could, you could watch, uh, I want to say, three hours of Georgia Championship Wrestling on Saturdays. And it was, I was just in love. And Dusty Rhodes was so freaking great, you know. And I can remember tuning in one Saturday when they announced that he had won the NWA title. And uh, it might have been his first, title, first world title uh, run. And I remember just, you know, it was like... Uh, it was, you know, it was like the greatest thing ever, right? <laughs> it's like it's so, so exciting. So, I'll have to go. I'll have to go with Dusty. He's not very original, but uh, he, you know, he he had my, he had, you know, he had my, he captured my imagination and my my heart at the time. No, no, both good choices. I think it just depends on you know when you grew up and who was being you know kind of promoted by the by the circuit at that point in time as to who you choose. And, you know, uh, I would say that 
you know, just because that's when I was watching it, you had a lot of great personalities in, in the late, mid to late 80s and, and into the 90s. Just some really iconic wrestlers that provide a lot of entertainment for a lot of people. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Uh, it's harder to, and, and I know, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, it's not as good anymore because they, they ditched, you know, kayfabe. And I don't, I don't believe that, you know what I mean? It, it, you know, in real terms, it got bigger and more popular than ever, you know, uh, as far as people watching on TV, pay-per-view or, you know, all those things, um, they still fill large arenas. But it was a little hard, I think, to go from kayfabe as a kid and then grow up and then, and then they ditched it. So it was a little bit like you believed in Santa Claus for a long time and then your parents tell you that Santa Claus isn't real. And you can still appreciate, you have some Christmas spirit and, and you can appreciate Santa, but it, it's, not, it's just not quite the same. I just can't. I can't, you know, it doesn't have that emotional sort of uh, connect. I don't have that emotional connection to it that I used to have where I just, you know, you'd see someone bleeding and you thought they were, they were, you know, going to die. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I love it for, for, it, 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 you know, I love it for all the, uh, the joy it gave me as, as a kid. I really do. Yeah, for sure. Well, Matt, Ed, uh, I want to thank you guys for coming and, and having some time to chat with me about WrestleTopia. I wish you the best of luck. I am looking forward to a sequel if there is such a thing down the road. And Anymore. best of luck with your Kickstarter. With your Kickstarter. Yeah, we'll let you know. Um, again, it'll be it'll be everyone's chance to get all six issues collected into a trade. But please, you know, if, if you're intrigued, you'll find them all on Comixology with, with some exclusive content to them. So uh, you can own them both digitally. Steve approved right. exclusive content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so where can uh, fans find you in the meantime, like before the Kickstarter to even learn more about the series? Uh, so we are primarily on Twitter and uh, bizarrely Tumblr. <laughs> um, Twitter, we are uh, SBP underscore comics. And uh, on Tumblr, Ed, are we just Suspicious Behavior Productions? Are we the entire? On Tumblr? Tumblr? Yeah. Um, let's see here. Because um... <laughs> we're just called Suspicious Tumblr. That's the name of our, but like Tumblr is oddly, that's where our largest following is right Interesting. Now. Yeah, we have like, it's not huge, but we have like, you know, uh, over like 2,500 followers on Tumblr. Really? Interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's actually, it's suspiciousbehaviorproductions.tumblr.com. And I, everything on there is Matt. So if, if there's something uh, you don't like about it, email him. <laughs> if, if you're offended, just, uh, you know, take it to me. <laughs> uh, that's Matt. That's Matt's uh, cue to tag into the ring. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't at all. Uh, well, thanks a lot, uh, gentlemen. This was great. I uh, had a fun time chatting, uh, going down the uh, memory lane for, uh, our wrestling uh, memories, as well as learning uh, all about WrestleTopia. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Thank us. you for having me. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for checking out the books. No worries. My pleasure.
Thanks for listening, everyone. And once again, a special thank you to Ed Canal and Matt Enton. We look forward to your comments, so reach out to us on Facebook and at Comics Asylum on Instagram and Twitter.